the last couple of weeks, we have been focused on the message of the gospel. The gospel is mentioned, the definition of the gospel is mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Here's what it says, starting in verse 3, 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, there we go, guys. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached to you, by which also you receive, and which also you stand. By which also you are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And now he's going to define it. Here's what he says. Verse 3. Uh, next one, guys. For I declared unto you, first of all, that which I also received, and here he defines it, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Two weeks ago, we talked about the fact of the death of Jesus Christ, represented by the cross behind me. Last week, we talked about the fact that he was buried, and we talked about the fact that his body was put in the tomb, represented by the black box. And this morning, we're going to focus on the yellow box, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This past week, um, I had the opportunity to uh, spend five days with my wife. She was on Easter break, and so we try to get away whenever we can, and very few times our schedules click, and we were able to make it happen this past week. And um, so last Sunday, we had the kids over, everybody ate, and then we took off, uh, flew into Phoenix Sunday night, uh, stayed there Monday morning. We headed up to Flagstaff. Two things on my bucket list were to see Sedona, Arizona, and to see the Grand Canyon. Um, and so I was able to accomplish both of those things. One of the things that I had set up Monday night was uh, I had a Jeep ride to watch a sunset over Sedona, uh, Arizona with my wife. So we were on this incredible Jeep ride to watch the sunset over uh, Sedona with two other couples that were also on the trip, who were also uh, on the Jeep that night. One couple was from uh, Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia. One was from New York City, uh, New York. And then uh, the driver. Now let's just say, for example, just as a sake of illustration, at the end of that trip, I asked each one of the six people that were on that trip, and then seven with the driver, to write a one-page summary of that trip. And so everybody took out and they put down their summary of what that trip was for them. And we put it in a box and then 10, 15, 20, maybe 100 years, maybe 200 years around, we opened the box up and everybody read about that trip. Now here's a question for you. Would all of the accounts have been similar? No. Everybody saw it from a different perspective. But everybody was on the same trip. They just focused on different things in the trip. The couple from Georgia, for instance, I can tell you right now what she would have written. It was miserable, okay? And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why it was miserable for her. She was from Georgia, and she was dressed like she was from Georgia. Now, it was 45 degrees for the high, and we were in a Jeep on the way back, as the sun had already set, going 55 miles an hour. She spent the last hour of the trip with a blanket over top of her head, hanging on to her husband for dear life because she was freezing to death because all she had was a little bitty jacket on and then those, what, what do they call them? Oh, those yoga pant things. Um, you know, and so she was sitting there and, and she was freezing to death. So you read her account, it's like, this is the worst thing in the world, you know. Um, the guys, the driver, he would be even more interesting to hear his version of it because he was a history guy, so he has a whole lot of stuff to tell it. But here's the thing. All of us would have 
or talking about the same thing, but all of us would have focused on a different thing. When you talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the same thing is true. When you read Matthew's account, Mark's account, Luke's account, John's account, it, they all bring out different aspects of it. And so it's easy sometimes to miss it and to focus on one and think, oh, well, well this contradicts the other one. So I want to walk you through very quickly, just because we're going to look this morning at Luke's account and we're going to look at John's account. But I want to walk you through a history when you put all of them together so you can get an understanding of what happened on that resurrection morning over 2,000 years ago. What would have happened is Mary uh, Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, would have started to head towards the tomb. Um, When they get close, they see that the stone had been rolled away, so... Uh, Mary Magdalene would have gone back to start to tell the other disciples. Mary, the mother of James, she draws near and she sees an angel. Um, She then goes back to meet the other women and tell them, hey, look, you guys missed it. There's an angel back there. Um, And meanwhile, while she's doing that, Peter Peter and John arrive and they look in and they depart. They look in real quick and they depart because... Uh, Mary Magdalene now, she comes back and she's weeping because she's going, you know, they took the body, we were supposed to prepare it, now what are we going to do? And she sees two angels, and then she comes in contact with Jesus, um, and we're going to talk about that part of the story. And then they all return and they see the two angels, this is Luke's account, and the the two angels explain to them uh, what has happened. And so on the way then, they, they meet with the risen Christ, and then Christ spends the next 40 days appearing to different groups of people. We're going to talk about some of that next week. But he appears to different groups of people. Um, when it's all said and done, there's over 500 people that the risen Christ appears to. So when you put them all together, that's kind of a summary, quickie thing of, of how different parts fit together. This morning, I want to focus on Luke's account. And it's found in Luke chapter 24. Here's what it says. Uh, it says, now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came into the tomb bringing spices which they prepared. We talked about this last week. Because of the quickness of the time, Nicodemus and Joseph had to take the body of Christ down on the cross. Because of the Sabbath or the Shabbat coming, they had to quickly prepare the body. The women looked at it very quickly to see how much they needed to do. It was the Sabbath, they couldn't do anything. So they had to go back to get spices. And so they came back the day after the Sabbath to try to properly prepare the body. Um, And it says, so they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in. And we talked about this last week and how the the tombs were arranged where there was a a kind of a little area of a a room. They went in and they did not find the body of of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about that. That behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. So now all of a sudden we have the appearance of two other people in this tomb. And notice what it goes on to say. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He's risen. Remember how he spoke to you? When he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again? Remember that? Don't don't you remember that, ladies? Don't you remember that's what he what's happened is what he told you was going to happen. Then it goes on to say this. Verse 8. And they remembered his words, 
Then they returned from the tomb and told these things to the eleven and all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Now listen to this. These are guys who had followed Jesus for for three years. And their words seemed to them like idle tales. They did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb. And stooping down, he saw the linen cloths laying by themselves. And he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. As we look at this story, I think there's something that often we gloss over and don't pay attention to. But if I were to ask you this morning, what was in the tomb of Jesus, what would you say? Well, we focus on the fact that he's risen. He's not there. But the reality of the story is there were two things in the tomb of Jesus. The linen clothes, the cloths that he had been wrapped in, and the angels. You see, I think one of the things about this story that makes it so important is in a nutshell, it tells you the whole story of the resurrection. There are two things in that tomb. One is temporal. The other is eternal. You see, that's one of the things you need to understand about the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is about putting into perspective what's important in life. That which is temporal versus that which is eternal. You see, the reality of it is when they put Jesus' body in there, the only thing that was left was the linen clothes. Because he's alive. He's risen, just as he said he was. And as a reminder of the fact that you know what happens when you die, when you leave this world? You leave it all. And I think we forget that. I mean, we get caught up, I do too, we get caught up in the, in the accumulation of things and we like our stuff and, 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 and we have certain things that we value over. I mean, when my wife and I were gone, you know, one of the things we like to do is we like to get mementos and things like that to remind us of, of our time together and our trip and stuff like that. And we got some really, really cool stuff. But the reality of it is, when I take my last breath, it's all going to go to a yard sale somewhere probably one day. Maybe pass on to my kids. They might keep it for next generation, and then it'll go to somebody else. And it'll all... See, when I go, I leave it all here. That's what you need to remember about the resurrection, is, is there's a temporal part of life, and there is the angels representing an eternal part of life. That's one of the things you see in this story that becomes so important. And what I would remind you of this morning is the fact that, you know what, there are two aspects to your life. That which is temporary and that which is eternal. And this morning we want to talk a little bit about the eternal. The second part of this story you find that I want to focus on this morning is found in the Gospel of John. And here's what it says. Um, John focuses on this aspect with Mary. Um, It says, now when she had heard, when she had said this, So he turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know it was Jesus. So this is the story of Mary's in the garden, and there's apparently a gardener over there working. And Jesus said unto her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. In other words, she looks at, at, at this gardener, this guy standing there taking care of the garden, taking care of this area, and says, um, hey, listen, did you, do you know what happened to him? 
Do you know where they took his body? Do you know who has him? She wanted to go and, and prepare the body for death. She's looking for a dead Savior. She's looking for a dead Jesus. And notice what happens. And Jesus said to her what? Mary. All he did was mention her name. And notice what it says. She turned and said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, teacher. Here's what's interesting. One of the first times that Jesus, the first time that Jesus speaks after the resurrection is to a woman in the garden. Now, for those of you who are students of your Bible, does that sound familiar? The first time that Satan, that sin enters the world, how does it enter? Satan speaking to a woman in a garden. 2,000 years later, how does salvation come to the world? You have a Savior speaking to a woman in a garden. For those of you who are students of the Bible and you're longtime students of the Bible, we call this the first Adam and the second Adam. This is a way that, in the same way that sin entered into the world, so salvation enters into the world through a resurrected Christ. And what's interesting here, and this is what I think is fascinating in the story, is the first thing that you see about Jesus after the resurrection is the fact that he's concerned about relationship. Mary had a relationship with him. Because the second he mentioned her name, he didn't say, hey, Mary, it's me, it's Jesus. All he said was Mary. And all of a sudden, immediately, she knew, I have a relationship with him. That's my Savior. That's Jesus. I'm looking for a dead Jesus. He's alive and he's right here and he's in the garden and he's talking to me. This is my Jesus. This is my Savior. And you're going to watch Jesus in the course of the next 40 days in the story of you continue to read it. As Jesus meets person after person after person after person. Because the whole thing about Jesus is he's concerned about the fact that he wants a relationship with us. And he wants a relationship with people. Every time I get the opportunity, I try to do something that will help you understand this. Because I know that people struggle with this whole concept of Jesus and and, and a relationship, and what do we mean, and, and all of that. So if you will bear with me for a minute, I'm going to get a couple things set up. Um, and I'm going to try to illustrate it for you this morning, in hopefully a way that's unique, and in a way that you will, uh, you will remember it. Um, so I, I didn't think it would be appropriate to leave this on the platform at the beginning of the service, uh, because that would really confuse people. So... I'm going to try to illustrate this idea of um, God um, and the resurrection of Christ and the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and what God wants in each of our lives. So here's what I'd like to do. I would like, good, I would like that balloon to represent God. Okay? I would like that balloon to represent the fact that God loves us. That's why I got a heart-shaped balloon. I have two of them. I've popped one already, so if this one goes, we're in trouble. Um, but hopefully I got a backup. It's just a red one. But anyway, so let's let the balloon represent the idea of God. Let's let the balloon represent the idea that God is in heaven, um, that God dwells far above us. We know from the story of, of Genesis chapter 2 that God created man in his own image, and what happened is that 
sin, we talked about this just a few minutes ago, sin came into the world. And so that as we come into the world, I want to let the balloons represent us. I want to let the black represent sin. We are sinners. We end up sinning. Um, if you're here this morning, um, I, I don't think we have to take a lot of time to convince you that you have sinned, um, that you are a uh, sinner. You, you go, well, I, I do pretty good. Well, you might do pretty good, but the idea is, you know as well as I do, you have sinned in some way. You have fallen short of God's idea um, of perfection. You know that uh, you've lied. You, you've said things you shouldn't have to other people. Um, you've gossiped. You've talked about people in ways that you shouldn't have talked about people. Um, you have coveted. There are people who are things maybe that you want that you shouldn't want, but you desire. So let's just let this represent us and our sin before God. Let's let that kind of represent humanity. The idea is that God looks upon this man as sinners and recognizes that uh, they can't stand before him. I mean, when you take this and you put this in the presence of God, they don't fit. So something has to be done about our sin. Some way our sin has to be taken care of. The Bible is pretty clear. It says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So something has to die. Um, and if it's a person, then someone has to die. And so God, in looking at this scene, recognizing that sin has separated him. See, there was a time in the garden where there was no sin and man and God dwelt together. But sin came in and separated them. So as my wife said, the Christmas story is the fact that God so loved the world that he came and he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but live, have everlasting life. So God comes to the earth and lives among us. The difference is that there's no sin here. The difference is that he is sinless. The difference is that he is perfect. So there's really no reason for him to die. Because there is no sin. Sin's the reason we die. But the Bible says that Jesus willingly, and we talked about this two weeks ago, gives up his life and goes to the cross. But see, something happens here that has to occur in order for sin to be taken care of. And that is the fact that God has to take upon him the sin of the world. So he takes your sin and mine upon him who's sinless. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. The fact that God now cannot, God the Father can't look on God the Son, so God has to turn away. Christ on the cross cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We talked about the idea that God did not, was not killed. He gave up his life. He's the one who chose the moment that he died. And so God now gives his life willingly for us to take care of our sin. And we talked about last week the idea that God, Jesus Christ, was buried in a tomb. 
And then, which we talk about this morning, three days later, knowing that God has accepted a sacrifice, Jesus Christ is risen. And so we have talked about this idea that now the Bible is very, very clear. God sits on the right hand of the throne of God in heaven, making atonement, sacrifice for our sin. The, the cross has been paid. The price has been paid. <clears throat> so there's a question now. Now there's a way that sin has been paid for. Correct? Got that? It's all been paid for. So here I am. And I decide that I want to, when I die, I want to spend eternity with God. So how do I do that? Well, I know I'm going to try to become a good person. So I'm going to clean up that much of my life. I mean, I'm going to go to church. And I'm really going to step over. I'm actually going to give money. And I'm going to volunteer. And I'm going to go on a mission trip. And I'm, I'm going to do all kinds of really good things so that God gets the attention and God looks at me and says, hey, that's good enough. You go ahead and come on to spend eternity with me. What's the problem with that? I have to deal with my sin. What are you going to do with your sin? How are you going to get rid of your sin? How are you going to have your sins forgiven, wiped, wiped clean? And the problem with this is there's a lot of people that believe that if you're good enough, if you're good enough, and the Bible says all of sin and come short of the glory of God. God expects perfection. He expects sinlessness. Not sinners. Not sin. And the Bible is very, very clear. Jesus said, I am the only way, the only truth, the only life. No one gets to the Father but by me. And if you were to take your last breath this morning, and your heart to beat for the last time, the reality of it is there's no way you can spend eternity in the presence of God. Because of your sin. So what does God do? What does he do? The Bible says that Satan didn't want to spend time in the presence of God. He thought he had a better way. So God prepared a place we call hell. Sheol, the grave, whatever you want to call it. Whatever reference you want to make to it. But it's a, part separate, it is a, it is a place separated from God. It is a real literal place. Just like heaven is a real literal place. It is a place where sin is common, where sin is comfortable, where sinners enjoy togetherness, because they have that in common. So if you're going to try to stand before God like this, he's going to say, no, I, you, can't, you can't be with me. So I have a place for people who don't want to do it their way, who want to do it their way. I have a place for people who reject me. I have a place for people who say I don't have time for Jesus or God or Christ or anything like that. I have a place where if you want to try to pay for your own sin, okay, there, this is place is full of people who try to pay for their own sin. You know, well, I don't like you preaching like that. Well, I don't like it's in the Bible either, but that's the way it is. And the reality of it is if we reject Jesus Christ, the Bible is very clear, and Jesus Christ was very clear in his teaching, he will reject us. So you go, well, what do I do? I mean, here I am. What do I do? Again, if you're going to try to stand before God like this, it's not going to happen. And so that's the whole purpose of the cross. And the Bible says that if we will 
confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God will raise from the dead, that we'll be saved. In other words, the Bible says, if I come to a point where I recognize that I'm a sinner, I don't think we could debate that for any of us. But I need a Savior to take care of my sin. And as best as I know how, I put my faith and trust in Christ. Here's, here's what the Bible says happens. Let me try to illustrate it this way. Okay. So here's... Oops. Hang on. You have no idea how many times I practiced this. All right. To try to get this right. Okay. So here's the idea. So I come to Christ and I say, God, I realize that I cannot on my own take care of my sin. So as best as I know how, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. I'm asking you to come into my heart, to be my Lord and Savior. I'm asking you, Lord. (laughs) By the way, if you haven't figured out sins like this, it kind of loves to hang on. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. I, Pilgrim and Pilgrim's Progress, made this so effective. I'm going to let the cross take care of my sin. Now, here's where most Christians get it wrong. Because for years, what most Christians taught is the idea that the whole point of salvation was eternal life. And don't get me wrong. That is a point and an important part of salvation. But if the focus of salvation was me going to heaven, then what would happen is every time we put our faith and trust in Christ, what would happen? God would go, great. Now you get to spend eternity. Oop, there we go. You get to spend eternity with me. That's the point of it, right? It's not the point of it. That's the icing on the cake. What God did was he said, I want you to put your faith and trust in me. I'm going to take care of your sin. But now, what I want you to do, I want you to live in such a way that people see you different. Oh, you're still going to sin, you're still going to have problems. But see, here's the thing. This is the way the world does it. This is the way my children do it. And I want you to be a light. And I want you to be a testimony. So that as other people look at you, because I'm not here anymore, I'm up there, so that as other people look at you, they see Christ in you. And so as you and I do this, we have people around us who start to see Christ in us, and they say, you know what? I want to do that too. I want Christ to come into my heart. And so they come to Christ, and now they spend time here. And now we have other people being lights and a testimony. You want to know what your job is as a Christian after you come to Christ? It's to live in such a way that people see Christ. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're supposed to do. And there will come a time in which God says, your job here is done. Your task is now complete. And when you're done with the job that God has for you, 
You spend eternity with him. Because he... You don't want to do the purgatory thing. All right. There we go. All right. All my Catholic friends will get that. All right? Um, You get the idea. They're losing helium. All right. But you get the idea now that we're with Christ. And for those of us that have loved ones who were here with us, but they have put their faith and trust in Christ, it's just till we meet again. Because the resurrection gives us that hope. The resurrection gives us the hope that, you know what, it's just a matter of time before I go up to be with, with the Lord. But until then, God's got me here being a light and a testimony to those who are in my world. This is the gospel. The death, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ all happened so this could happen. And if you're here this morning and you have never put your faith and trust in Christ, and you take your last breath today, this is how you stand before God. You go, you you don't understand, Pastor. I'm like a really good person. Okay? You have to take care of the sin issue. Because sin separates us from God. And the only way to take care of the sin issue, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one, no one, no one, no one comes to the Father. I don't care how sincere. I don't care how devout. I don't care how religious. I don't care. No one comes to the Father but by coming to the cross. And if you're here this morning and you've never done that, you need to understand that if you die today, you stand before God like this. And God on the basis of his word and Jesus on the basis of his life has to say, depart from me. I don't know you. We exist to make sure everyone understands this. We are called to be a light and a testimony, not just to go to heaven. And if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, it is as simple as one guy said, ABC. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I don't think we have to discuss that very long, do we? I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. I believe the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the gospel. And as best as I know how, I confess. I ask God to forgive me of my sin, to come into my life, to be my Lord and Savior, and then I live as a light here. I live as a testimony here until the day that he calls me home. Those of us that have put our faith and trust in Christ, we live like this because of Christ. Not because of anything we can do on our own. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you've never done that, please, please, think seriously about eternal things and not just temporary things. Because the one thing I've learned in this job is this. People die, and there is no rhyme or reason to how, when, age, anything. 
It happens to everyone. And the reality of it is, in that moment, everything temporary in your life ends. That which is eternal goes on. Your soul continues on. And what you have done with Jesus Christ determines whether you are with him or apart from him. And there is nothing more important on this day than making sure you know. As I close, I want to pray for everyone. I want to pray, just close the service in a word of prayer. So if I can have every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to take just a few moments. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or sign anything. Or This is just between you and God, you and God alone. But if you've never done that and you want to do that this morning, as you sit here, just simply pray a prayer similar to this. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need a Savior. And Father, as best as I know how this morning, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I want you to forgive my sin. I want to live differently, Lord, because of you. And Lord, I am trusting you with my eternal destiny this morning. I would encourage you, if you've prayed that prayer, to cement it somehow in your, in your world. Whether it's telling somebody, whether it's writing it down, But allow God to become a permanent part of your life. Allow that relationship where it is a one-on-one relationship. Because that's what Christianity is all about. I close with this. Jesus rose from the dead proving victory over sin and death. He went willingly to the cross to provide salvation for us. Make sure he's your Lord and Savior. And that you're trusting no one but him. We want everyone to have a personal relationship with him. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you for an empty tomb. Lord, we get so caught up in this thing called life. We get so caught up in making things that are temporary permanent. Lord, we tend to live as if we're going to live forever here. And we don't give too much attention sometimes to our soul. But Father, this morning, I ask that each one of us would look at our relationship with you. That, Lord, we'd make sure that our sin has been taken care of at the cross. That we have a real relationship with you, Lord. It's not about religion. It's not about other things, Lord. It's about a personal faith and trust in you. And, Lord, for those of us who have done that, Lord, may we be a light. May we be a testimony. May people see Christ in us until the day you call us home. And on that day, Lord, we look forward to seeing you face to face. May we honor you with our lives. Thank you for loving us and coming to die for us. May we all accept it. May there not be one person here.